Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, February the 2nd, 2022, and this is episode 3029 of the Survival Podcast. Our special guest today is a longtime listener of the Survival Podcast, longtime member of our community. His name is Aaron Schroer. And he's going to simply tell a story. The story of how one man, a single father, realized that things were not going to be right for his son if he sent him back to school. What happened to Aaron is that the Metro Nashville School Board, which is the school board his child is part of, got together in a secret meeting and reversed their policy in an effort to match children up for the 2021-2022 year school year. They went from optional to mandatory. And with encouragement from this podcast and our community, Aaron decided it would be a good idea to pull his son out of school and sent a withdrawal notice to the school the day after he found out they had done this. He joins us today because he wants to help push you, if you're a bit apprehensive, over the fence and off the fence into homeschooling. Now, I don't think he wants to push the person who's like totally opposed to this. I think the reason he's really motivated to be on the show with us today and talk about his story and show, if I can do it, then you can too. Right, which to me that is one of the most famous lines, or not famous lines, one of my favorite lines from any song. Uh, there was a song uh, uh, in, in the movie uh, Eight Seconds, and it was called Heroes by Billy Dean. And in that line, he says, "The best thing they ever do is point to a saw and say, if I can, you can too.'" And to me, I think that is the definition of hero. I don't think hero always has to be somebody that went to the, you know, freaking outer space or something like that, or some sports figure or something. The average everyday person that demonstrates what can be done and actually encourages others to do it, and that is a, a move for good. That's heroic. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And if I can, you can too is a very important component to getting things done around here. That's something we've been sending as a message forever, showing what people are doing. Showing how many of you guys have actually picked up and done the things. We don't just talk about things, we do them. We're also going to be talking about how this really is, for many of you guys, it's the next logical step. There's so many people out there, they've worked so hard to build more liberty and freedom into their lives. right? They, they, they get out of the city. They get a, a homestead, whether it's small or large, doesn't matter. They start producing some of their own food. They take on entrepreneurial activities. And they start building all this liberty into their lives. And they start demonstrating to their children or their grandchildren, this is how you live on your own terms. And then they take those kids every day and they put them on a, a great big yellow bus or what have you, and they ship them off to Caesar, and then they act in shock when their children return Romans. Or another way to look at the graphic for today's episode has a very famous quote by Malcolm X, Only a fool would let their enemy educate their children. When I say that, people say, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? No, it's not. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of fact, and I love it. And so you're saying, so the, the state is your enemy? In, in many ways, yes. Yes, as they oppose every single liber, liberty-minded thing that I advocate and want to do at some level, yes. The person that says, you can't have a business unless you pay me first, that is my enemy. The person that takes my child and brainwashes them to believe that they are somehow an oppressor because of the color of skin that they were born with? Yes, you're my enemy. Yes, you're my enemy. 
the, the people that have brainwashed and, and put half of society into a state of freaking collective psychosis, yes, you are my enemy. The people that take my money and use it to, 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 to make poison and then feed it back to us, yes, you are my enemy. And those people run your schools. This isn't about teachers. I mean, I could get on how teachers are largely out of touch with reality, but it's not their fault. It's the system that they're in. And it's the fault of he who created and managed and runs and developed the system. And the system is not broken. The school system in this country isn't broken. Jack, I thought you were going to tell us about you know why we shouldn't be involved with it. I, I, I didn't say you should. I said it's not broken. It's doing exactly what it is supposed to do. That indeed is the problem. So if you want to take the next step toward freedom, why not just not, why not why not not stop? Right? Don't just stop at demonstrating what freedom looks like for your children. Grant it to them as well. There is no place they will go in life that is like school other than more school. Every office job, every manual labor job, every technical skill, all of it, from doctors and lawyers all the way down to ditch diggers, none of them live in environments that are like the school system. None of them work in environments that are like the school system. The only people that exist in environments like the school system are teachers and administrators and our children. That's it. It's the only place in the world where life is like that. If you want them prepared for the real world, then you want to prepare them to live a life in liberty. And if you want to do that, you need to get your children away from Caesar or they will, in fact, come home Romans. We'll talk about all of that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Butcher Box. Butcher Box has just been a wonderful addition to the TSP community. Those guys are amazing. Um, my contact over there, Daniel does everything he can to help support this community. I've had him multiple times open up offers that were supposed to be for new people only to the, to the existing customer base in our audience. Can't always do it. to get fired if he does it all the time, but he does it a lot. He sponsors all our events. We have a, a wonderful breakfast being served with grass-fed bratwurst at the upcoming Acapulco Watch Party and Acapulco Watch Party and amazing steak from their steak tips. It's going to be fantastic, and they, they sent that stuff to us. Uh, they've been a, a, a great supporter of this community now for about four years. And a lot of you guys have told me that you got through the initial shortages of COVID a hell of a lot easier because you had a ButcherBox membership. So check them out today at ButcherBox.com. And remember, MSB members, 10, bu 10 bucks off a box for life. That's $120 a year. And MSB membership's 50 So it's one sponsor that takes care of your entire cost of MSB times two alone. Next up, Backwoods Home Magazine. Been reading Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993. Been a subscriber since 1994. Need I say any more? I don't think I do. If you check out BackwoodsHome.com, you will find the premier resource for information and knowledge in the homesteading and liberty communities. Check them out today. You'll see why I've been a subscriber now. Again, since 1994, I've been a subscriber to their magazine. Again, Backwoods Home. Com. With that, let's go ahead and join the live stream and get Aaron on the line with us. And we are live, albeit a few minutes late due to some technical difficulties, and I want to welcome our special guest today, uh, Aaron Schroer. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Aaron. Awesome, Jack. Glad to be here. So we're going to be talking about homeschooling today, and I, I really like the angle we're coming from. I'm just a guy, run a business, got fed up with the school system, 
Single dad, by the way, decided I'm going to homeschool my kid. Million reasons you could come up with not to do it, but you figured out that it was more important to do it than come up with excuses, and you got it done. And uh, you've been doing it. And now we're going to talk about how how it uh, how it all worked out and and what led you to that decision. Before we dig into that, though, just kind of let people know who is Aaron, man. Like, you know, what do you do professionally, and how'd you end up doing that? I know you're a serial entrepreneur, basically. Uh, How'd you end up where you're at, and, and 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 did that have anything to do with kind of like, you know, if I can if I can do my own thing, then maybe I need to be teaching my kid to do his own thing too. Yeah, it it absolutely did. Uh, so you know, professionally speaking, um, I dropped out of college from from Georgia Tech um, right around the year 2000, and I guess I watched the movie Office Space a couple too many times and saw my future in a cubicle, and and I opted out then. So. Um, I kind of took a left turn after doing some soul searching and decided to pursue a career in crafts. So I, I started a, a furniture shop. I did an intensive course in Scotland for a year and uh, started building furniture, doing furniture repairs, but mostly building stuff and, and just kind of elevated through the years and built a really nice shop and just kind of got frustrated with, with some of the kind of revolving door problems that that industry sees. It's, it's a really difficult thing and started another business with some people and they just weren't great to work with. So I, I decided partnerships weren't for me. And that's kind of when I, when I dug in to, to get into home inspections, um, had a kid kind of during that period with a woman and, and she struggled with some substance abuse issues. So she's, she's not currently in his life and in, in a, in a meaningful way for a, for a lot of years now. So, um, he's about to turn 11 and I've been raising him by myself since he was, uh, about 18 months old. And, you know, so in that time bought houses, built a company, we've got seven employees. Uh, we do home inspections in the middle Tennessee area, a, a big chunk of middle Tennessee. And, and it's been a, it's been a good adventure building this business. And, and I've, I've had my son in tow with me for, for a lot of things. He's, he's been exposed to a lot of, um, a lot of adult, you know, situations with meetings and classes and, and, and just me growing this business. Um, so that's kind of how I got here in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of maybe what things were like for your, for your kiddo growing up prior to COVID? Like, I guess it was probably like any other kid and go to school and come home and live your life. And, and then this whole kind of topsy turvy thing came into the world. Totally. totally. So, so we live in Nashville and, um, you know, Nashville public schools are hit or miss. We have a really good lottery system here. So if there's a school that you want your kid to go to, you can put in for that lottery system. In kindergarten, he got he got brought into, accepted to a, a really decent school that's, that's close to our house, a desirable school. And once you're in, you're in. So he did elementary school, real stable at one place. And, um, then in middle school, we had to put in cause they start middle school in fifth grade in Nashville, which is a little different than most places. Usually it's sixth grade is middle school or junior high. Um, so he got in there, went through boot camp in the summer and was, was, was ready to go and start. Um, you know, he was into other things. We did, we do cat scouts. He's been in Cub Scouts since kindergarten. And, uh, did karate for a couple years and, you know, he's a kid. We, we camp and we fish and we 
catch trout on the river and, and do, do fun stuff. Um, you know, but mostly he likes video games and YouTube and, and things like that. Like any, any normal kid would. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, other than the YouTube part, it sounds like you tried to give him a childhood as close to an eighties childhood as you could, you know, like, you know, people from our generation that grew up with freedom as a kid. And it's, it's, it, uh, and eventually this leads to you deciding I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him out of government schools. What, what made you do it? Why did you finally say like, I'm going to take the leap and I'm going to do this. Cool. So last year was a bit of a train wreck with COVID. You know, they were, they were out of school and we were all thrust into basically, well, they called it virtual school, but it's very similar to homeschooling. Um, you know, they were in and out and they had to wear masks and, and when they were in and then they were back out again, they would, so it was really unpredictable. Um, it was, it was a very involved process. He had, you know, I forget what they call the classes, but he would sit in a Zoom meeting with his friends at school and his teacher and the teacher would teach and they would have worksheets and stuff they would have to do. And, oh yeah, it wasn't in Zoom. It was in a Microsoft product. I'm getting, getting corrections from across the table here. Um, so it was very involved. I, I had to keep an eye on his work, make sure he was doing his work, help him get things scanned and uploaded and stuff. Um, Towards the end of the year, something that struck me as odd, he had, when they went back to school, it was kind of a relief. It's like, all right, well, I don't have to do this anymore. They've got it. So I would, you know, I kind of just let my responsibilities go at that point. All right, they're back in school. They're doing their thing. And I went back on to the same virtual system because some kids were virtual and some were in school. And I just was checking in on his assignments. What are his grades like? Where's he at? And there were a lot of missing assignments where he had zeros. So, so I, I sent the teacher an email or a, a private message on that program. And, and I said, Hey, there's quite a few missing things here. Um, what do we need to do to, to get back on track with those assignments? I don't have access to those worksheets anymore and those, those, those assignments. So, you know, my, my son said some of them were already done. They were in a basket. He was going to check and make sure, you know, just put his name on them so he could get credit. A couple of days later, all of those assignments, the teacher had put a five in front of the zero. So now what would have been a zero is now a 50. Okay. Get credit. credit for work that wasn't done. And I feel like this is a kind of probably a no child left behind type thing where we just, we just shuffle fully willing to help their child and make sure they do the work. Um, and, and they just kind of miss that one. So kind of fast track past the summer and right before school started here in, in Nashville and Davidson County, Metro schools had, had said that, you know, masks were going to be optional for, for the 2021, 2022 school year. But then a few days before school started, they had a emergency meeting of the, uh, the school board and they said now masks are mandatory. 
And, and they did this kind of in, in secret too, didn't they? They didn't like do an emergency. Hey, parents were having a meeting. They kind of did their own thing and, and did it under the table. Sort of. Right. So it's, it's kind of, kind of an emergency meeting that they had like, Oh, we need to discuss COVID and what next year is going to look like. And this is going to be bad. So it didn't give parents the appropriate amount of time to show up and make arguments and talk about it. I think they announced it the day before it happened. Um, which I just thought that's, you know, they've had all summer to consider this and they didn't have a, um, they didn't have an option of, you know, like a, a plan for what happens when we do have to have kids quarantine because they're going to quarantine this year. I already know you're exposed. Somebody in your class had it. Well, now everybody's going home for two weeks or, or a week or whatever it's going to be. Um, so I kind of saw that as a red flag. It's like, you don't have a plan. You're going to be using snow days for the students and try to keep up with this. And my vision is that the year would just going to fluctuate up and down back virtual. And, you know, I, I, I felt like we already had, we've been shown previously that, Hey, you have the skills and the ability to teach your kids at home because they made us do it last year. So if we could do it then, why can't we do it now? Yeah, indeed. I mean, that was my approach that when people are saying, I don't know if I can homeschool my kids, I'm like, whatever you needed to do to do it, you've already done. Right. And I know it can be inconvenient and what have you. And, and maybe, it, maybe it won't work for some people if they won't take the effort to make it work. But don't say you can't do something you've done. Right. <laughs> you, you did. Everybody did. Everybody figured out a way, uh, Absolutely. to get it done. And I'm with you. I, the, the masking thing was something that, we kept hearing, well, we're not going to do it. Maybe we're going to do it. Individual school districts over and over. We have no statewide mandate for kids to wear masks in school. But that was one of the things I'm like, you're not taking my grandchildren and putting masks on their face for eight hours a day all year long. You're not doing that. Then the other thing, like you said, with the whole they're going to close down, open up, close down, open up. Close, like there's no stability and kids need stability. It's better off, you know, even if, if school didn't have all the problems that it that does, a kid to me is better off with the stability of, okay, well, I'm going to learn from home and I'm always going to be learning from home versus mm-hmm. I'm in and I'm out and I'm in and I'm out. And then I guess the thing with the, the way that the schools were handling it is they were basically teaching our kids that they were a threat to other people by existing. Right. And that's yeah. terrible. And the, one of the most ludicrous things that really struck me emotionally, because I was already picking my son up from school and sitting in the, the pickup lines after school because daycares got closed and bus services got closed and and when i would when i go to scoop him up like there's four kids in a field in the front of the school throwing a football wearing masks and i'm like you gotta be kidding me like they are in the middle of a field just four boys running around and then i'd see kids you know filing out of the school building and and the masks were just disgusting by the end of the day there's big wet stains that got them in their mouth and they're they're filtering dust all day and it's it was gross it's like this can't be healthy we have lost our minds at this point like this makes zero sense you know we had some early in the whole thing mandates here in texas that eventually went away and after they went away I also kind of saw the damage being done to our kids with it and that I would go out to a restaurant or something like that. And this is after they stopped the stupidity of you wear your mask so you sit down or, you know, whatever nonsense that was. And I'd see parents bring their kids in and the parents were not wearing masks and the kids weren't. It was almost like they were enjoying it. And, and my wife and I would sit and go, well, what is, and, and we'd realize like that's from their schooling. Mm-hmm. They've been actually taught that this is like a good virtuous thing and they all have their little decorations. And mm-hmm. and so like these kids are sitting there 
enjoying being masked. And again, I'm like, that's that's um, that's not being done to my kids. That's not right, happening. Right. I you feel know? the same way. I'm with you. It's and there's a lot of other things, but it was like, okay, that's that's the the, the last straw on the back of the camel, and the camel's back is broken, and we're done. We we right. there is no more. Uh, there's a, a, a verse in the Bible to hither thou shalt come and no further. Right. Yeah. And like you, that line's back there, but we're, we're done talking about it. Right. And, and, and when I consider what kind of breaks my heart is, you know, you've got kindergartners and first graders who are in school and this is all they've known. Like they have no baseline of what normal is. And, and, and for people to say this is the new normal, like I just, I, I reject that idea. I'm not, I'm not good with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good with it either. And I think that that whole statement of new normal is yet another straw on the back of a very tired, very weary camel. So what did you actually have to do to withdraw your, uh, your kiddo from school in Tennessee? I guess it varies by state with, um, with my grandson, since he had already been in school, like your son was, we basically had his parents send in a letter that said we're, we're withdrawing. And that was the whole thing. With my granddaughter, who had not yet started and went into kindergarten this year, we just did nothing. Like, we just, since they were never registered, there was no need to withdraw. There was no need to, like, tell the school that she won't be showing up. There was a zero sum, but we had to take some action with my grandson. Mine was similar, and, you know, this wasn't something that I really knew about. So I did all my research the day that the school board came out with their decision. And, you know, the, the state's website is not super easy to navigate because homeschooling is not something they're trying to promote for some reason. <laughs> um, but I do know that, hey, there, there are multiple options and, and avenues that one can go here. You can sign up under a co-op program or, or some sort of umbrella school where they'll keep up with records and, and, and attendance and uh, compliance. But ultimately what I found out is, man, there are some really, really simple options here in Tennessee. Like all I need to do, like we, I registered as an independent. So we're not under a program. Like I set the curriculum, anything goes. So they have a form on the website that I had to fill out and send back in. I had to send in my high school diploma and I had to send in his shot record. And, mm. and with that, like it was official. So I, I emailed the things I sent them. I, I followed up by calling the office and, uh, just making sure that they got it. Cause I, I want to verify it could have been weeks before I heard anything. And, you know, when they, when they ask, well, what's your, what's your reason? I said, well, because of the school board's decision yesterday. And a lady on the phone says, I'll just put other, you put what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put other. <laughs> so it was it was really simple. And um, like I said it, it, it didn't take a whole lot. Most people are under the impression that they've got to join some sort of at least online homeschooling program. And, and here in Tennessee, that that wasn't the case. Yeah, we don't have any requirements really at all. There's four core courses. And I want to talk to you about like, you know, what you know, that you have to say that you're teaching. But even in Texas, like it's like. No one comes and checks. It's more like you have to say you're doing this if you're asked, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have teachers in the family, and one of them's like, well, are they doing Texas history? Because they have to do Texas history. I'm like, I don't know. In the summer, we'll take them to the Alamo. Like, no. But you have to. I'm like, no. No, we don't. And, like, they really couldn't get past this because they have to do it in their, you know, it's part of the curriculum in Texas. And, and in my case, I am using an online curriculum, and, 
my grandson and granddaughter are basically attending a school that's accredited in the state of California remotely. So they're not even going to school in Texas. And they really like that was, and I'm like, yeah, wow. And, 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 and these are the people that teach our children. You can't grasp this. No, we don't have to do this. So what, mm-hmm. what are you required to teach within your curriculum? Is there any requirements specifically whatsoever? Or? So the requirement here is I think every other year students get tested with like a, what they call a TCAP test. It's, you know, your basic standardized fill in the bubble tests. Um, say what? Oh, third and fourth grade in elementary does TCAPs. They have another one for, for middle school and high school. So this is a year where he'll have to do some standardized testing, but that's just going to be math and English, I believe. Um, there may be some history stuff too and science, but it's, it's just basic standardized testing. Um, we we're using a program called IXL. It's an online web-based program, IXL.com. And, you know, it has some really great features that, is based on standardized testing, right? So um we spent our first week doing evaluation. Hey, you're gonna you're gonna sit here on IXL and and this is a program that Metro Nashville schools had been using for years. So we knew we're familiar with it, knowing that it covers all grade objects. Um so with that, he spent his first week kind of evaluating. I want you to, I want to look at your handwriting. So we, we've got a composition book out and, and, and we did handwriting practice and I had him do a typing tutor. Let's see how many words per minute you're typing. Um, these evaluations kind of showed me where are you at in measurement, where are you at in fractions, where are you at in your addition and subtractions. It was a broad scope of math and it kind of gave him a scale on that. On each of these things, you're at a, fourth grade level you're at a sixth grade level and the same for english there's writing skills language arts reading comprehension and it showed on all those so we're able to evaluate and then they made recommendations from that evaluation which was cool so we did a little bit of remedial work and we we brought up the low points before we really got into this year's curriculum um and then it'll link to and give you recommendations for the tennessee state standards so I, I just kind of use that. And they have, I think, just about all the states. But those state standards may not be on what their recommendations are for grade level. So when he was learning about Sacagawea, because Tennessee wants people to learn about Sacagawea, it was actually like a third grade lesson. Um, and, and, and that's that's the basic tool that we use. So just to make sure that his math is where it needs to be and his science where it needs to be, he just gets on there. He does some of those and it's not a teaching program. It's a testing program. So if you don't get it right, they don't move you forward. If you don't understand it, well, now it's my job to go in here and, and do a little teaching on the subject. Or you can watch Bill Nye, the science guy on, on YouTube and learn about the water cycle or, or whatever it might be. So that's kind of been our strategy for the academic stuff and the expectations we're going to have to meet later. So it's actually, it actually seems like there's a little more oversight in the state of Tennessee than Texas. Like we literally don't do anything. Like we, we've actually figured out that if we want certain, like for our own information, if we want to know they're at a certain grade level or whatever, there's a test and I can't remember what it's called. 
think it's Ohio or something. And I don't know that it actually ha- like stands for something. It's not actually the state of Ohio. I'm not sure, but it's standardized testing like that. And you can either just do it so you have the information for yourself or you, it can be administered by any licensed teacher. So like we could have like my sister-in-law or another family member's a teacher actually administer the test as a proctor if we wanted to do that. And, you know, we may or not. We're, we, we kind of just look at what are the results of the work he gets, you know, we're doing a, an organized curriculum. So he gets tested and he gets grades and follow up. And so does the, the younger one. I mean, kindergarten is, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of grading going on in kindergarten, but I've actually been surprised going to this curriculum that we're using. And like my, my five-year-old is learning about things like, you know, molecular bonds and stuff like that. I'm like, I didn't learn that in kindergarten. We like see no. spot run, you know, and they're, they're not going real high level with understanding like basic chemical reactions and stuff like that. Um, just that it's a thing and opening that mind young. And I think the freedom to be able to, 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 to do other things like, because the girls taking an hour a day to do this and the kid, the boys taking it, he's older. He has more advanced work. He's taking two, two and a half hours at the maximum a day to do this. And that's yeah. getting them ahead. So we take a lot of time and we let them do whatever they want. As long as they're learning something, we'll say like, well, you're going to do another hour of learning day. And it's almost like a blended, like, the unschooling approach along with the curriculum approach. And mm-hmm. even if you're doing something the way you are and you have to meet certain requirements, I imagine you have a lot of ability to create freedom as well. Like wh- what exactly is he studying? Okay. So, and that is one, one of the things where we get to decide what you're studying when you put in that resignation letter, this opt out letter, this withdrawal notice to the state is you get to say your own subject. So yeah, I was, was pretty, uh, poignant and in, in what I put in there, you know, we're going to study liberty and freedom and we're going to study entrepreneurship and these are our classes, right? So, you know, we, we had history and math in there too, but I, I definitely put, you know, fishing, you know, auto body. Like I, I let them know, like we're going to be studying some things that we're going to round this out and being independent like we are, we, we get to, we get to do those things too. So, you know, I, I bought him a couple cursive writing workbooks because he's never seen or tried cursive before and it's good to learn your letters and how to string together a word. So right now he's kind of on that. We, we did some printing work at the beginning of the year, but now he's learning cursive because that's quickly becoming a lost art. Um, we watch a lot of documentaries. So there's some, there's some really good documentaries out there on, you know, the age of, different empires and, and samurai culture and other things that he's interested in and, and nature. Um, and we do those, but if we go fishing, I might call that school because you are learning in, in my opinion. And he's, he's had a good pleasure to go do some other stuff like that. Um, he does handgun training. So there's, there's a few people around here who will take it. Physical education, man. (laughs) It's part of it, right? Yeah. You know, I, my Jeep needed new headlights. So we went outside and, you know, all right, here's a screwdriver. Let me show you, let me tell you what to do. And he changed the headlights on the Jeep. So that's, that's work for, for us and, and it's educational too. Uh, there's been a lot of reading. He's probably read more books this year than he has before. And, um, you know, we, we get a good, a good mix of things I want him to read versus things he wants to read. He's got some series that he's interested in and we've been studying the constitution a little bit at a time and, uh, some, some books on business and success, 
some podcasts. Uh, he's interested in getting a protection, protection dog. So we've been running through the protection dog podcasts, um, with Joe and uh, on his stuff. So, um, you know, that'll be our PE. We'll go on a walk and we'll play a podcast while we're on a walk. And, and that's, you know, we can spend 30, 45 minutes on that and kind of, kind of multitask there, get a dual use out of that time. What's an average day like then? Like, sounds like it can be anywhere, but like, do you have like a core thing that you do every day and then there's these other things or, or what have you? Yeah, the core thing, we, we kind of looked at what, what all. So I had him go through on IXL and all right, here's the Tennessee state standards. And these are how many, I told him to count how many math things do you need to do to meet all those standards this year? So we counted them up. I told him, well, there's 180 days. How many do you need to do every day to meet your goal? And he figured that out and we wrote that down. And then we did that for science and history and English and he came up with his numbers. So I'm like, all right, this is what you need to do on a daily basis. This is your chop wood, carry water. Um, and then I like for him to read a little bit every day to work on his writing a little bit every day. And then, you know, we've got flex time after that. Um, how it starts, what time it starts, when we finish, what happens between them, you know, all that's kind of loosey-goosey and just depends how the day goes. One thing I've learned is that, you know, there's days where it's just not there, right? The academic stuff, it's just not, it's not going to happen. And, you know, there was a, a certain realization that, well, you know what, there's going to be days like that, whether these he's here or if he's in a classroom. Yep. And the difference is that teacher might have, you know, she's got 25 kids. There might be four or five kids who are in that state of mind on that day. So I actually have a lot more empathy now for teachers and the, the struggles they go through. And this is just, I mean, there's days I have a hard time showing up for work. So uh, it's just part of it. But it, it was good realization. You know, the thing about that though is, so what you're, like my wife and I have come to this realization doing this, like, there are gonna be days, and if you think back to when you were in school, where like the teacher's talking, and you're, I don't know, looking at a bird out the window, or examining with intensity a piece of thread sticking out of your shoe, and you hear nothing that they say, and you don't care, and nothing can make you care that day. And then, it's like you're on this conveyor, and the conveyor is moving and you're not. And then when you drop back in, everybody that was paying attention is up here. Some people are way back there and you're in this middle state. But the thing, especially with math, right, like the things that you were supposed to learn the day you checked out on, you don't know. And you can't understand what's going on now that you're paying attention. Math is yeah. one of those others that's really like that. Everything builds on the next step. And the teacher doesn't understand why the kid doesn't understand, because as far as the teacher's concerned, we covered that yesterday or last week or whatever, right? And then that everything's jacked up. Where if you're doing homeschooling and it's just a day where the kid's going to check out, we've come to peace with it. Okay, right. as long as it's not a chronic thing, you know, fine. Then, then just we're not going to do school today. Or we're only going to do – you're going to do one subject today or whatever. And they're still ahead. I mean, i got a kindergartner that's doing first-grade classes. You know, I mean <laughs> – down to one course left for kindergarten, but we had a breakdown. Five-year-olds have breakdowns. It happens. Mm -hmm. you know, we had a breakdown the other day. I hear absolute total freaking toddler meltdown going on, and Papa Jack's got to go see what's going on. 
And I went and talked to her, and Grandma wanted her to do school, and she didn't want to do school. And we sat, and I, she went to our bedroom and slammed the door. You know, girls start early with that maneuver. She was in there hiding everything. I just sat down on the bed next to her, and I'm like, so let's talk about scheduling <laughs> to a five-year-old, you know. And I started explaining, you know, we just need you to get a certain amount of work done every week. And I don't really care what days you do it, but if you just go do your work now, and she's crying and mad and red in the face, you know, and, and I said, if you just go take care of your work now, we'll talk about it and we'll figure out how you can figure out what days you're going to do as long as you get it done. I want to do that, you know, and like that's giving them some control. And that way, if they pull, unplug for a day, they're not behind. And I also like what you said about cursive. That's something that when the school system started talking about not teaching it anymore, I understood the rationale, but I also was like, you know, you mentioned the Constitution. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were handwritten. So if you don't learn cursive, you can't, you literally cannot read the founding documents of your country as they were written. And to me, like, I'm not, I'm not big on the state or anything, obviously, but like, I do think that's important. I do think it's important to know where you are and how you got here and understand how those things happen. Thomas Jefferson didn't sit down with a typewriter or a, a word processor, right? They hand wrote these documents. And I think that our children should be able to read the founding documents of their country as they were written. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's like, having mass in Latin when nobody speaks Latin in the, in the room and church operated that way for a long time, you know, then things changed and, and the average person were like, okay, well I can read this too. And I can understand this. Yeah. For me, it wasn't Latin. It was Ukrainian. <laughs> you know, you go to high mass in the Ukrainian <laughs> Catholic church and the priest is out there with his back to you speaking Ukrainian and, like, and they're like, pay attention. I, 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 I don't know what's happening. You know? <laughs> yep. So I like the conveyor belt analogy that, that made yeah. a lot of sense to me. And, and, you know, some days, Hey, maybe he gets an hour of schoolwork done and he didn't get everything we needed, you know, tomorrow, maybe instead of doing the required four hours that Tennessee says you're supposed to do every day, we can do three. We'll, we'll just squeeze those together and we'll make it a day. So I do keep a little log of, of what we've accomplished in, in a day and, and each day. So um, I can go back and see when we're productive and what all we've we've done. And it's it's good. I mean, I think you have to, like, accept the advantage that you have as a home educator because you can tell when a kid's done. When even when they're trying to pretend they're paying attention, they just can't anymore. And talking more at that point or forcing more information at that point is a waste, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, one of the things that helps homeschool parents is coming to peace with we're done for the day. Or we're done for – you know what? Go, the kid will run out and play with a football or something. Go go take a break. Go take 30 minutes off. Come back in. Reset. Like, And, you know, you're an entrepreneur, so you know, like, there are times when things have to happen in your business, like even though we had technical difficulties and I had a generator leaking and other things going on right before we started, like we're going to get this thing done because we've set a time for an interview. There's a lot of other stuff in your business that you have a lot of flexibility with. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the wonderful part of being an entrepreneur, right? That you get to make those calls. And we should be teaching our children how to build that and design that into their own life and giving them some control. Again, as long as the stuff gets done in a timely manner, the more control they have, the more buy-in I think you get from them as well. 
I think so. And you know, on on those days when when he's when he is checked out and struggling, um, in front of the computer, and I think he's over there working, but then I can see from my end on my computer what he's actually accomplished. I'm like, dude, what are you doing over there? And he says, <laughs> I'm just daydreaming, and uh, he feels defeated at that moment. And sometimes he says, you know, I just want to go back to school. I'm like, you want to go back to school for eight hours a day and come home with homework? Like, are you sure? (laughs) You know, these are, so he kind of goes back and forth and sometimes he's, he's not feeling great about it. But then when we go do fun things and take field trips with other homeschool students, because there's, there's groups around here and all they do is get group buy-ins on, on field trips. So we've done some really cool things and met some other kids, um, and, you know, so those things are a blast. And last week we were in Wisconsin ice fishing with some buddies while his friends were in school. So, like, you can't, like, you know, when we're there, I'll remind him, like, so you still want to go back to school? Like, <laughs> would you rather be back in the classroom right now um, or out here in Wisconsin on this lake? This is kind of neat. Yeah. What gets mine is when they look out the window at, like, 430 and a school bus pulls up and lets the kids cross the street off. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, oh, oh, we've been screwing off for three hours now. <laughs> yeah. And they're just getting off the bus, you know. And um, how much time do you really spend on school versus, like, before you started doing this? Because I'm actually kind of dumbfounded at how much time kids give up of their life to the modern education system. My niece, you know, and she was taking AP courses and stuff, but still, she was going to school, you know, eight, nine hours a day. And she was doing two to three hours of homework a day, you know, and, and you, you, you talk to the teachers and they say, well, I only give, you know, half an hour of homework. Yeah. But the kid has four teachers mm-hmm. and they're all given half an hour of homework or five or six teachers. And, you know, on average, they're all two to three hours of homework. And like I said, they're, they're spending two hours a day a lot of times and they're done and they're actually working ahead at that speed. Absolutely. So, and, and that was something that we had a conversation last year and i said dude like if you think about school and you and you think about the time you spend lining up getting ready to go to lunch getting ready to go to class when you take out the hey how was everybody's weekend and the that sort of socializing thing how much actual work do you think you'd do and you know, he, he figured eh, it's about half maybe like, you know, so half the time of the day is just kind of logistics of, of running a classroom in a school and, and managing kids. Um, so when I look at it and I'm trying to compare, well, how much time am I spending as a parent? Because this affects me too. Yeah. Before like, okay, I, I make his breakfast, I make his lunch, I get him you know, wake him up and we have that fight every morning and he gets ready for school. And then we run out the door by the seat of our pants trying to get there on time. And we got a couple school zones to go through before we get there. And then we sit in the line and I drop him off. And now I take a deep breath like that was crazy. And now let me see what I'm doing for the rest of my day. And I'll go off to my work day. And then in the afternoon to go sit in the school line and pick him up. And, you know, I have to drive there twice a day. Um, and then come home and, and now maybe we have homework to manage. Um, when I take all that stuff out and the state asks us to do four hours of actual work in the day, well, I'm not teaching him for four hours. He's mostly self-directed over there. 
and, you know, doing his, his work at his own pace. So like, I'm not spending four hours actually engaged in his schoolwork. It's more like an hour or two. So if I'm engaging with him an hour or two, time in my day hasn't changed. It's taking up pretty much the same amount of time, whether he's in school or at home. It just looks different. What I'm doing is different. And I'm not dealing with the stress of getting him ready out the door on a deadline, picking him up on time because Nashville traffic's getting crazier all the time. And with my home inspection business, when I was inspecting houses, you know, I might be in a, you know, one of the other cities close to here, Murfreesboro or Clarksville or Spring Hill, trying to get back to, you know, a school pickup at a certain time. And honestly, I didn't always make it on time. There was, you know, a few times during the year where, you know, I'm trying to get there and I'm going to end up being 15 minutes late and I'm sorry, but this is, this is what happened when you close the daycares for COVID. I'm, I'm doing my best guys. Yeah. I, I think that's probably about right. Parents probably spend about the same amount of time they already do and they just don't realize it. And I, uh, the, the one that benefits the most and I'm fine with this is the kids. The kids mm-hmm. are the ones that are spending a fraction of the time to get the same or, in my opinion, a better education. And I love the flexibility. Like yesterday, my wife took the kids to the library for a while and picked some books out and like they can pick whatever they want as long as they're reading books. And like that's life. I think that one of the biggest problems I have with the state system beyond all the COVID crap um, is that it's not like real life. There's no place. And this is why I get people that are teachers or love teachers pissed off at me. I'm not putting down the person. It's the system. But teachers are generally out of touch with reality. And not again, not because they're bad people, because they've not experienced reality. Most teachers have never had a professional job other than being a teacher. So maybe they worked part-time, you know, as a waiter or something like that while they were going through college or whatever. But they've met when I say full-time work, I mean, you know, you go to work, you pay your bills, you deal with all of the things with being a full-time employee, you're working for advancement, doing all that. You come home and you live in that real world. Well, they go to school, then they go to college, then they go back into a school and they've never been in that sort of a, a, a meritocracy. So they, they lose a connection to reality and they expect things from children that those children, when they become young adults, will never have to do again unless they, too, become teachers and go back into an institution. Like, you don't go to your office job and have the guy at the next cubicle lean over and thump you in the head and that's okay, right? That's assault. That's not that's not reality. You don't get forced to eat with somebody you don't like or, or be with somebody you don't like, right? And if you don't like a job, you go get another job. You create a business like there's nothing about the way we formulaically put these kids into a room crammed in with 20 to 30 other kids in this structured manner. I'm, the only thing even close to it's the military and the military is more reality than school. And I say that as a former soldier. And I think it's, it's, it gives us such an advantage for our kids or in my case, my grandkids to be educating them this way because they're able to now start building the life they want much younger and figure out that, hey, it's going to be up to me to build my life. Because I think the biggest disservice to our kids in the government school system today is we condition them to believe a falsehood. Way more way more false and way more damaging than the people that worry about, you know, we tell the kids, you know, Santa Claus stories, right, you know. And that is that if I just go to school every day 
and I study hard and I get good grades, when I get out, everything will be good. It doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work that way at all. When you go to get your first job and you say, I got straight A's, the guy's like, I don't care. I don't care. Can you shovel shit out of a horse stable, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's what the guy wants to know. Or when you get a profession, like I know people who go out of college and they have like a master's degree, they never had a job. And they live with that fantasy the whole way through the situation. And then they, they graduate and they're like, I have a master's degree. I'm worth 80 grand a year. And no, you're not. No, you have no experience. Where I think when we bring kids through this path, they're getting so much input on what they're doing that they're able to kind of lay the groundwork to have that knowledge that I'm going to have to do something beyond show up and present my little report card. Because I even know grown, grown adults that are very miserable. And I'm talking people older than me. And you can tell what it is, is that their life didn't work out the way they planned. And they, they were good students. They did go to school. They did work hard in school. They did get good grades. But life just didn't work out. And I, I feel like this path prepares children a lot better, if that makes sense. It totally does. And I know some real screw-ups who make a lot of money. And, you know, the, the people who growing up, teachers like this guy just cracks jokes and slacks off and he can't focus. And, you know, they, those type of people make great salesmen because they're a lot of fun to be around and they have people skills. And uh, when, when people, one of the biggest objections, especially from women, right, is that how will your child get socialized? They need to be around other kids. I don't get that much from guys, but, but women, it's, it's a, it's a real concern. And, and like you said, this is not normal socialization and, and I'm not trying to raise a child. I'm trying to raise a man. So if he spends a lot of time with adults doing adult things, you know, learning about business and, and how to give a presentation in front of a, a group of people, cause I do teaching and, and some coaching and stuff. Um, like that's a, that's a good thing. These are the skills he, he needs to learn. He's to learn how to, how to meet a stranger, connect and how to, um, how to act in that type of society, not, not the school system. Um, I think that he does need time to be a kid too, right? We need to play a little grab ass and, and goof off on the playground and, um, those opportunities are there. You know, there's scouts, there's, there's field trips with homeschooling students. You can put them in jujitsu. There's, there's all sorts of cool stuff that kids can do and be around other kids, you know, so we can do those opportunities. You don't need a steady diet of that sort of thing. That's, I think, not as beneficial. No, I agree. And I, you know, the whole socialization thing is, is to me, it's retarded. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, my, uh, they play sports. They, my, my granddaughter's in cheerleading. Like there's all kinds of ways to get your kids involved with other kids. And then they get that thing called voluntary association with the kids that they're with. Like no one makes them be friends. And if you have a kid, you know, when you do like cheerleading, it's not like at school mean girls thing or whatever. Like it's a private thing and you put the girls in it and whatever. If there's a kid that's really a problem, they go away. No one tolerates that when you have a sports team, like you put the kid in basketball or football or whatever. If one of the kids on the team is a jerk, you know, it's like, hey, you talk to the parents and say, you either square Johnny away or Johnny's not welcome here. Like it's, it's, it, because that's actually the real world. People choose who they associate with and who, who they don't associate with. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We, I think we, that's one of the problems I think that the school system's created now is that they've actually convinced kids that that's wrong. 
you shouldn't be able to choose who you, you have to be nice to and get along with everybody. Um, and I'm okay with being nice with people and get along with people as is required. I don't want to be a jerk to anybody unless I really need to be. Um, and I want to be able to get along like as long as necessary that you can go do what you do and I can go back to doing what I do. But forced, long-term forced association, that's only going to lead to problems. It's, and it, to me, there were problems when I was a kid, and they're going back to the 80s here again, you know. But nothing like what I see today. Nothing like It's the same pattern, but it's just much worse because I think there's much more of this whole you have to be integrated with every other single person around you at all times. And that's just not how humans are wired. We don't work that way. Even in families, when everybody loves each other, still people have like, you get a group together, certain groups kind of form and have conversations. The guys talk about football and, and, and women talk about whatever they want to talk about. And there's interaction and moving back and forth. But there is kind of this, uh, every, you go to a party, people voluntarily associate. And, and that whole thing has been taken away from our children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what does your th- son think about all this? He's, he's there correcting you, which we've had a few people call out and say it's pretty cool. I mean, generally homeschool kids get, get concerned about accuracy and things, you know. Um, yeah. but how does, how does he think about all this? It's, it, it's a great experiment. I'll, I'll definitely say that much. And, and for the most part, he's doing a fantastic job. Um, sometimes he's, he's hard on himself. Like I said, when he does space out and he doesn't quite get accomplished what, what the expectation is for the day. And then I'll just try to reel that back in and say, well, hey, look where this shows. Like it shows all of your English skills on a sixth grade level. Like you've, you've already for all practical purpose finished the fifth grade in English. We're still going to do this stuff, but mm-hmm. like look how good you're doing and, and math, look where you were and look where you are today. Um, so, so that, you know, he, like I said, sometimes he gets hard on himself there. Um, and, and then he, he has those feelings of, well, maybe I need to go back to school next year. Um, and, and next year is going to be different. So that was part of, part of why this year made a whole lot of sense is that we, we, we bought some land about an hour out of Nashville and, and we're going to be moving either in the spring or during the summer. I felt like this year we were probably going to be moving out of this school zone anyway. So instead of disrupting that, it's like, well, let's, let's take this experiment. If it goes really good, you know, It'll probably work out awesome next year too. Um, you know, he's, he's enjoyed a lot of it and, and, and he likes the cool stuff that we get to do. Um, we're going to a bladesmithing knife making seminar to, to learn some forging this weekend. So we're going to be two days in Kentucky doing that. Um, so he's, he's definitely enjoying those extracurricular things yeah. that are way outside of what school is. And one of the things I like to kind of reinforce with him when he gets hard on himself for space and out or whatever is, the, is that conveyor belt analogy. Like that's going to happen. We all do that. That's a thing. So if you do it in school, then the, 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 the conveyor rolls on. And when you get back on it, you're behind. If you do it at home, you just stop. Yeah. Stop for now. And then you go back in and you reenter where you exited. And that was, that was hard for us at first because we, we felt this huge burden. That like, since we had convinced my son and my daughter-in-law to let us do this, like we have to make sure that they're, and you know, we'd, we'd sit and we'd think, you know what, they're doing way more and way better than they would be doing in school because everybody spaces out, everybody screws off. 
period. Mm-hmm. And that, that is very disruptive where in, in a homeschool environment, it's almost not even a, th- it's not even, re- it's only a thing if you make it a thing. And that's yeah. for the kid and for the parent both. Like if you become at peace with right now, I've done as much like every, and, and this is what adults do, right? You you run, we're trying to raise adults. We're not trying to raise children. We're trying to bring children into adulthood. So every single person, even if you're reading a book you love, reaches a point, that's it. That's as much as I can read right now. And you close the book and you put a bookmarker in it and you leave. School in that, that situation that we put these kids in is more like it's an audio book. And when you tune out, it keeps playing. And if you tune out for an hour, you missed an hour of the story and you're completely lost when you came back in, where if you hit the pause button and hit play again, you're right back where you started. And and, and that's an advantage. And I, I just think that when people start worrying about, like, if they're falling behind or whatever, if you're falling behind, you're even better off to me that you're in homeschool because it still doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. we, we, again, we work with Excellus, and they're like, you do it at your speed. If the kid wants to, like, sprint through science – and get that done in a quarter of the year and then take longer on English because there's not a strong an English student, then fine. It doesn't matter. Like we need to like use all the advantages this actually gives us. And that way, because it doesn't matter how fast you go through something. What matters is at the end of it, can you still do it? Did you parrot it or did you learn it? And I think that like sometimes it takes a person longer to learn one set of skills than another. And that another person will flip flop that. And that's the beauty of this flexibility that like you move faster on the things you can go faster with and slower on the things you can go slower with. And it's okay. Yeah. And some things it's amazing. It's like, you did that whole section in four minutes. Like what, what just happened there? Like you just <laughs> blew through it and some things take a little longer. And when they do, then, you know, we're, we're going to slow down. It gives me an opportunity to teach. Um, the, the good thing about IXL, the, the course that he's using, the website that he's using is that they don't pass it until they understand it. When they start getting questions wrong, their, their level of completion, if they're at 80%, well, now they're, they're moving backwards. So not only do they have to get those things right, but they also, they're, they're going to be doing more questions to get back to 80, um, which is real world stuff. I mean, it's not like, okay, well, I just taught the kids everything they were supposed to know. Friday, we're having a test, study this at home. It's like you get the instant feedback right then. And, and when you're done, you've moved on to the next thing. What has this decision done for like your overall quality of life? I think that's something that people really kind of mm. need a little bit of a push to understand that it actually makes the quality of life better. I agree. We are, we are spending way more time together. Um, this is, this is time in a very, fundamental part of his life where, you know, if I give that to somebody else, like then they're raising my child for me. Um, and you know, we all need that, that idea that it takes a village to raise a child. I, I don't disagree. I can't do it all myself and I wouldn't want to. Um, I want him to get some, some different viewpoints and things, but we really get to, to buckle down together and, and, and spend more time together. So, so the quality of life is great. Um, we have a lot of opportunities, you know, so we, we get to bond and, and we get to do cool stuff. 
um, it, it forces me to do more cool stuff because I don't want him, you know, cooped up in the house all day, every day. That, that, that's not my goal here. I'm not trying to be, uh, isolationist in, in, in that way. So, you know, we, it, it forces me to be creative, you know, like we have to, well, what exactly do I want him to know? I have to kind of evaluate, you know, how we're going to make the most of this time. Um, so I, I appreciate the challenges that that brings. It, 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 it allows me to set my own priorities, right? And, and his too. And he gets a voice in that as well. Um, you know, I, I do get pushed back and a certain part of this is, dude, you know what? I know you don't want to do it and I know you're not interested in this, but we also have to learn how to do things just because we have to do them. And, and that's a, that's a tough lesson to, uh, to grasp, but it's important because some people never learn that. And, um, I don't think they, they fare that well in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, you know, we, we definitely deal with that. My grandson is golden until he gets a writing assignment because that's mm-hmm. actual work. That's not just answering questions, reading, learning, and then regurgitating. Like that's actual work. That's actually going to take time. You know, and it actually gets judged and it gets graded and then you actually have to fix it where it was wrong and maybe you have to redo a whole thing. But when we get there, we use that, that flexibility just saying, okay, so we're not doing science and history today. You're going to do yeah. your writing assignment today until you're done with it. And if you need to take five breaks during the day, go ahead and do it. It's okay. It's all right, but you're going to do it and you're going to get through with it. And it, it's very much a time management skill I use. When I have things that need to get done in a week, the first, and I have like, it's going to be a, it's going to be one of those weeks where by the end of the week, I'm ready to pull my hair out and drink five martinis. And I know it's going to be that way. I know what I'm going to do if I let myself do it. I'm going to take all the stuff I really don't want to do and I'm going to put it at the bottom of the list and I'm going to do all the things I don't mind doing or I enjoy doing. And then that's going to be the whole end of the week is going to be all the shit that I didn't want to do. And some of it's not going to get done. So what I do is I'll go, except for things that have to be done, putting the show out or whatever, these things, taxes or whatever, are going to the front of the list. And I'm going to do the shit that I hate the most first, and I will push everything out of the way till that's done. And as soon as that's done, then the rest just, well. Yeah. Let's eat your frogs first, I think. Right? Yeah. Idea, your, I like frogs, so maybe it's like eat your slugs first <laughs> or something, right? Like, you know, um, or worms first or whatever. But that's a time management skill that every single entrepreneur and every single person I know successful in business and a lot of like the sciences and stuff too. There's like the methodical, boring part you don't want to do. Everybody that really excels learns to do that. You pull the crap to the front, you do the crap first, then you roll through. And we can teach that in homeschool environment. And to be fair to teachers who I do beat up on at times, they can't do it that way. Like if you're a teacher today and you're teaching like sixth grade and you teach English, you have a group of kids come in every 45 minutes and you teach today's lesson and then they go away and you have to do that. Like it, you, there is no flexibility. There's no way around that. And if they're, if they're struggling with your English assignment that you gave them and you're willing to work with them, that's fine. You know, after school or what have you or study hall. But what you can't do is say, you know what? Screw Mr. Smith's science assignment, right? Screw Mr. Smith. Just don't work on Mr. Smith's science assignment. Get through this, and then you can go back and do your science. Like, Mr. Smith's going to come down and crack you in the head, man. Like, you can't be doing that with my students. But as homeschoolers, we have that complete flexibility. And I don't. I think that a lot of people that fear doing this, if they realize, because I want to kind of push here toward the end, like, 
like we talked about before we did this interview, kind of pushing people off the fence and getting them to do it. Like people think that there's going to be this really reg, like it'll only be as regimented as you make it. And you have all this flexibility and it makes your job actually a lot easier to be fair than a teacher's job. But I won't say that it's, it's, and you probably experienced this too. It's probably not going to be that way in your first couple of weeks. You feel so much pressure as a new homeschooler, but once you learn to let go, all of this stuff makes sense and it gets really easy really fast. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We, we still had some stress and it, coming back from the holidays had a, there was a bit of challenge there yeah. of getting back in the routine. Um, and I, I feel like, you know what? Even that's not real life. I mean, no, I don't get to take you know a, a month off from, from work, <laughs> you know, business. No, I work every day. Um, yeah. and it's, you know, there's a book called chop wood, carry water, and it's just doing the, the, the basic things we need to survive and live and, and keep things on the right track. And I feel like we would have done better to break away from the, from the structured school year where, Hey, we just take a, we take all summer off. Like that too, isn't the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, having to go back and look at that, I, I think just some real simple, you know, that, hey, we, we put a little work in every single day would have been beneficial for us. Um, and, and that transition would have been so easy because once, once you do find a good rhythm and a routine, it's, it's not hard or complex. Until you break it, like you're saying, and then getting them back in, like there's always a little bit because, you know, there are grandkids, so they're usually not here during the weekend. So they go home on Friday, they come back on Monday. Now we got to get back into it. That's yeah, and I'm little, okay with that. That it was yeah, just the the yeah. long break. The summer, so like what we winter. did with the yeah, the summer especially, you know, it's really long. So what we did this year is, and we kind of figured this out as we were going. Exactly the problem you're talking of. We said pick a subject, and we had them do school through the summer, but the one subject. Yeah. And then when the school year started, you know, the four core courses, one's gone. Like you almost can't move them slow enough to not plod through that and be done with it by the end of summer. Like, in fact, it was, you know, August and he was done, like the beginning of August. And it's like, well, now pick something else because we never wanted to get out of the concept that every day at some point you're going to pull the stuff out and you're going to do some work and you're going to do some learning. And even when we hit some, like, eh, well, it's only two more weeks and you're going to start everything back up. Like, okay, well, then, like, you're going to read read a book for a half hour a day or something. Like, so, something that continues to make progress. Because I don't know about you, when you when I do shut down, because I shut down in the winter myself. I shut down from before Christmas and I come back after New Year's. And I've done that almost my whole professional life. I used to be in comm. And when you're in telecom, like, that's the kind of, time of the year where like you lay off all your contractors and, and it's easy to take off. And I just kind of carried that through. But when I do that, it's great for a few days. And then I kind of start looking around like I got, I got to do something like, you know, I'm just like the business is not growing and it's okay. But like, I, I want to get back into it. I want to do something. And that's because I love what I do. And I think that part of the reason kids look so for, I know I did when I was a kid, I looked forward to summer so much. I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And if we can make them want to learn, you know, not even make them want to learn, like open up, open up the, the, how amazing learning is for them so they can see it. Then they want to learn and they get really excited about it. And like you said, keep, I do think you're right though. Keeping them doing something in those long absences is really going to make your life easier when you have to go all the way back to it. Mm-hmm. And letting them choose is, is a big deal. Cause you know, and, 
till they start picking their classes in high school. Kids, kids don't have much of a say at all besides maybe what they wear to school. And even that in Nashville, it's just like, Hey, what color shirt you going to wear? Yeah. Um, Cause they do have to wear uniforms here. Oh, wow. So, you know, having, having some, some, some choices and a little bit of say in their life is a, I think a good thing. Now uniforms I'm out on too. I grew, I went to Catholic school until they threw me out. I, I should say until I got myself thrown out intentionally. Um, <laughs> I did not dig the uniform thing at all. Like, cause that is like, you're a kid, you have so, so little you control. And uh-huh. now you're taking away my ability to express myself in my clothing. Uh-huh. Are you, are you kidding me? And I know the argument for it is then like, since everybody wears the same, nobody gets picked on for their clothes or whatever. And like, why don't you get better at disciplining the children in your school then? Right. That's, that's like, my kid is supposed to wear like whatever the hell you say, because somebody might get picked on for their shoes or their shirt or, you know, their brand or whatever. No, no, that's again, that's not real life. You don't get to like, go through life saying everybody should be it's it's equity instead of equality, right? Like everybody should be brought to the island to the same level so that nobody excels too far above anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's the Harrison Bergeron reality is what it's become. Um, what would you say to the person that listens to this? And, you know, I, I've kind of said a lot of people out there in the audience, they don't really want to homeschool and that's fine. If that's not what you want to do, that's not what you want to do. It's the people that are in the middle that I always want to push, right? Because I would like to, and then, but, and then all the excuses come out. What would you say to that person as far as the fact that you can overcome whatever you think you can't? Right. So, and I, I can appreciate that a lot of people have challenges with their own personal schedule. Not everybody is an entrepreneur at the point in their business where they can manage this. Some people are road warriors and, you know, I've, taking my son with me on the road, doing things. Like I said, I drag him places with me and those create unique opportunities. And, you know, that can be made to work too. Um, There's a million reasons, a million buts we can create, but this, but that, but we can make all kinds of excuses for everything in our life. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, people say, yeah, but you don't understand. I, sure we all have those buts and we can overcome them um you know so being being open to making that jump well now i have to ask myself what what needs to happen what's standing in the way of of this goal and you know then i have to rely on some resourcefulness you know there's there's co-op programs out there where people can drop their kids off in a co-op environment where, okay, I can't do it every day. And now we got a, a positive, but, but if I join this program, there will be some support. And so people can mm-hmm. help me now as a, in a co-op program, you know, a, a parent has to agree and, and they have to um, volunteer to do some teaching too. So they're going to be responsible for being around some, other kids and, you know, kind of watching over somebody else's kids a little bit. Um, so those opportunities are out there and you can band together with maybe some people in your neighborhood or at your church. Like I said, just, it's a matter of being resourceful. Um, I, I do have the ability, like I said, to, to do it kind of on my own. Um, and he's at an age where he's old enough where sometimes I have to leave him here by himself and, you know, trust that he's going to get his work done while I'm gone. And I'll tell him before I leave, like, look, man, um, 
hey, I'm going to be gone for three or four hours. I really hope when I come back, all your work's done and we can just kick it for the rest of the afternoon or go do something fun. And if it's not, then you had your fun while I was gone and it'll be time to work then. Isn't that how a job works, though? That's how your boss is like, they don't sit there and watch you work. They're like, hey, I need the numbers by Friday morning. And if you don't have them Friday morning, your ass is in a sling and you're breaking your neck to get them as quick as you can at that point. And you deal with the consequences and you learn from it, right? Absolutely. And one of the funny things is when, you know, my mom's like, what? You're leaving him home by himself? I like, you know, my eyes roll to the back of my head. I'm like, mom, what? Like I was this latchkey kid. And when I was his age and even younger, like I woke up by an alarm clock and I got myself ready for school and I caught the bus. She was a nurse and she was already at work. So no, this isn't any different just because it's 2022. I didn't get rides to school. I knew when you were a little, like, kindergarten kid or whatever, but, like, by the time I was in, like, second grade or whatever, like, either walk to school or walk to the bus stop. I and when I got out of school, too. most of the time nobody was home. Like, you know, yeah, I, okay. I, I said, like, we weren't really, my generation, a lot of us, we weren't latchkey kids. Like, that's what they called us. We were more like woods kids. Because, right. like, when we got home, we went in and we ate a snack and we went and played in the woods until dinner time, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, as that's long it. as no one called mom or dad and told them we were doing some shit we weren't supposed to be doing, it was all good. Yeah, I built a fort in the woods and, yeah. you know, we did some stuff we shouldn't have been doing. Absolutely. And we lived through it and that's okay. Be a little dangerous in your, in your life. There's, there's nothing wrong with that and letting kids do scary things and, and not trying to coddle them and shelter them as, as much as, you know, yeah, you're on something there. You know, I think that, and it's partly the school and it's partly us. We have overcompensated when I was a kid and I'm talking like 10, 11, 12. We would run around on our bikes. We would build these big-ass ramps. We had these uh, apartment mm-hmm. complex I lived in had, like, these islands and are, like, big mountains of dirt. And we would, like, carve into them and make these huge jumps that were dangerous as shit. We did yeah. this. Once in a while, we wiped out or whatever. We wore no helmet, no pads, no nothing. Like, And we had those horrible pedals. If you slipped off, you skinned your shin and whatever. And I'm not saying that's exactly where you should be. Like, when we raced BMX and all, we had helmets and gear and all, but... When I see somebody with their kid at the park, okay, and it's like a four-year-old little kid, and they're on a bicycle, like a like an eight-inch bicycle with training wheels, that maximum that kid can move that bike at is about three miles an hour. And that kid's in a helmet, gloves, elbow pads, and knee pads, and like I said, pedaling his ass off and moving like this. You just go, what? What are we doing? And then you wonder why that kid's going to grow up and be overly cautious and not when they come work for somebody like me and I give them something to do, they'll do it. But when I come back and go, well, what else did you do? They say nothing because they're afraid to take any kind of initiative or chance because something bad will happen. And I mean, I've dealt with that, you know, hiring kids to be farmhands and stuff like that. They, They just won't take any risk. And I know people will say you're overreacting, but I think if you're, if you're, Gearing up a five-year-old on a bike with training wheels as though they're going to go race motocross, I think you're out of touch with reality, and that kid's going to end up out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, everybody be walking around with a face mask on all the time. <laughs> you exactly. You might the air and die. Like, I mean, that's like, how do you think we got here? And you know, some when when you take the training wheels off and um and 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 you know they're going to crash. And there's going to be a skint knee or an elbow, probably a great day to utilize some pads. 
and and you know let's get through that hurdle and and they're riding a bike well then you probably don't need them every time again like it's going to be okay um and being okay with our kids doing dangerous things is it's another hurdle you know a lot of parents want to protect their kids but for the most part i feel like they usually know their limits and know when to reel back a little uh, we had a day here. We had some Amazon boxes piling up by the front door. A lot of shipments came in that week. And I told him, hey, man, uh, why don't you take those boxes around back and burn them in the fire pit? And he looks at me and his eyes get big. And he says, but, Dad, I need some parental supervision. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll watch you do it. That's fine. And so, you know, I, he just wanted me to be near him in case something, you know, in yeah. case the, the – brush pile or something catches fire in the back. Um, so, you know, they kind of self-regulate, I think. Uh, and, uh, so he went out there and I'm like, so what are you going to light it with? And he says, oh, I'm probably just going to use some dryer lint and maybe some flint and steel. I'm like, okay, cool. Do that. And, you know, scouts has taught him different ways to make a fire. And, you know, he burned up the boxes. He just felt a little more safe with somebody, somebody there. Um, Man, that was a job I had that I didn't mind when I was a kid. We we lived in a place with private trash removal, so you all and you paid by you know, like you could have so much per week that they would take away for you, and uh, they uh, so because of that you got rid of anything that didn't have to go in the, the the truck that you could. So we burned all our paper, and we had a great big barrel, and I would go out every day or every other day and burn all the paper and cardboard and stuff like that, and that was a job I had to do. Like, I got in trouble if I didn't do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great responsibility. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's taken CPR classes and first aid classes and other stuff, too, so I, I like to roll those sorts of things in, and um, you know, so well, worst case scenario, he burns himself. He kind of knows what to do with it. It's probably not going to be a severe burn, but, uh, you know, if he gets cut, well, we've, we've talked about that. Let's, let's put that into practice now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, people get cut. People get minor burns. People get scrapes. People break bones. It happens. That's why we have a medical system, right? Like, I'm not saying to be reckless with reckless abandon, but we can't live in a bubble wrap society anymore. I mean, really. And that's, It's become what the schools are like, you know, nobody can have a peanut because somebody might be allergic to peanuts. Right. So when I was in school, if you were allergic to peanuts, you didn't eat peanuts. Yeah. You didn't expect none of the other kids to not eat like that kind of that. And that when that started, you know, years and years ago, and I would talk about people like, oh, you're overreacting. You don't understand. And I'm like, but I know where this leads. Right. And That that was what I think people struggled with is all these things were slowly implemented it was, oh, it's just that. Oh, it's just no more peanut butter sandwiches. It's just, you know, it's just two weeks to flatten the curve, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's just till the end of this year that the schools will be closed down. It's just for two weeks because Johnny got a sniffle or like that same incrementalism has been actually working at this for, since we were in school. You could, like, I can think back and go, oh, now I, I get why that thing was done and how that changed and how that led to this thing. But when you're in the middle of it, I don't think it's easy to see. No. And, and those are things that I, I did see. And those are things that bother me. And I feel like this is one of the best ways that we can course correct on some of those things that our children are getting exposed to, indoctrinated to, you know, not that it's all malicious or anything. I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist there, but 
when I see it, and I'm like, that's just insidious. Like, I know they are doing their best to protect children. This protectionist mentality is there, and they just don't want people to get hurt, and they want everybody to get along. And I think, you know, many times the heart's in the right place, but something's lacking in the in – what, what do we lose in return for more safety, even if we're really getting more safety? Because how many kids are, you know, committing suicide now compared to 30 years ago or what have you? But, like, when I got a seventh grade, right? So you're talking junior high, I guess, right? When I got a seventh grade, I knew how to use a bandsaw. I knew how to use a joiner. I knew how to use a lathe, right? I knew how to use a jigsaw. I knew how to use chisels. Uh, just about any – uh, power tool, chop saw, a radial arm saw, uh, planer. I knew how to use all that. I wasn't great at it, mm-hmm. but I had some practical experience <laughs> and I knew how to do it, right? Like all those shop classes, you know, have been ripped out. Eighth grade, I went, I had metal shop. I learned how to TIG weld and MIG weld and, uh, spot weld. And I learned how to, to, to cut sharp metal with sharp tools and how to, like, how if I measured something wrong, the piece of sheet metal wouldn't care about my feelings, right? right? It would be like, you, you, you cut me too short. There's no, like, I remember my, my, my metal shop teachers, dude, Mr. Watts. He's like, if you have wood shop, you need to know something. When you take metal shop, there's no such thing as metal dough. If you cut it too short, you cut it too short. It's gone. And you're going to have to deal with it. And I learned that a power tool didn't care about my feelings either. and would cut my finger off. Fortunately, I never cut my finger off, but I, I learned that. And so by removing shop classes, Maybe there's been a few injuries that didn't happen. But what have we gained? We gained a generation of, of young people that can't do the things that not special people could do, that everybody could do, right? We all know people that are like really great craftsmen. They make cabinetry or something like that, or they, they're custom home builders and they, get, they take these skills to the ultimate level. But when I was a kid, there wasn't a, there wasn't a 15 year old kid that if you would have said, Hey, um, Take this saw and this this tape measure and this pencil and go take that piece of two by six over there, measure it 14 and a half feet and cut the end off of it. They couldn't have just went, oh, okay. They might not have. They might have found an excuse if they didn't want to do it, but they had the skill set to do that. And that's not exactly a, a complicated thing. And we don't have kids able to do that when they come out of high school now. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have like, okay, shop was, an, uh, what do you call it, elective, Right. But they don't even have the option. It, it's it, it's insane to me that we actually think we're hurting our children. Like the people that think we're hurting our kids. There was somebody made a comment in the stream here. Like every home kid, homeschool kid I've ever met is is been a weird. And I'm like, then you need to meet more people because right. the way. And I I'll tell you, I used to think that way, but this was a long time ago. You know, before this really became what it is today, there was a very small number of people at homeschool, mm-hmm. and not all of them, but a lot of them were because the kid just couldn't be in school. They were picked on or whatever to the point where like, we're going to do this. So that kid might not naturally be extremely socially introverted or something like that. Now, the way I know I'm dealing with a homeschool kid, when I'm dealing with a kid that's 14 and I meet them and they're like, how you doing? And they put their hand out and they put their shoulders back and they shake my hand and I feel that tension, like, and the way they conduct themselves and they're, they're, they're here compared to their peers that are down here. And I'm instantly like, Oh, you're homeschooled. And, and it's in the best way possible. And it's because, like you said, they're, they're around adults, right? You're on your best behavior around your parents. Like, I, you know, I mean, really, like, like kids get away with everything in school now because to be fair to teachers, we've, we've really hurt teachers, right? Like teachers can't 
use any real discipline anymore in school. Kids get away with everything. Uh, my sister-in-law's a teacher. She said, like, all some the, the girls, all the girls want to do is physically fight with each other. And I'm like, I would have got my ass kicked in school for that. Nope, can't really do anything. Send them to the principal, like, send them right back, whatever. And, yeah, when they're around you, they're going to, like, hey, dad's watching. And then when they're around you and your cohorts, then they're going to come up to your level. One of my best friends, what he does, he sends his kid in the summer. He'll send him with one of his good friends he knows is a good man and say, you know, you're going to go with with Matt, and he does computer programming. You're going to go sit in his office with him, and you can do other things, but you're going to see what his job's like. And then the next week you're going to go with Toby or you're going to go here. Right. And like, so then he moves around and he sees all these different opportunities. That's amazing that out there, but you're also with adults. And so if he's in some guy's office, he's seeing that guy's boss come in and go, Hey, we need to work on this part of the code or whatever it is. And he's actually seeing the way adults conduct business. And I think that brings people up. Like we, you, one of the life lessons really is like you don't really have time in your life to be surrounded by people who are not making you a little bit better in some way. Like I don't expect every person I know to be better than me at everything because then I would be, I'd be the drag down. Right. But like when I have a good friend that I actually will spend my time with, I want there to be something in about him as a man and his character and the way he conducts himself that I want to be a little bit more like, and I hope that I have something that I can offer back. And when you spend your time around people like that, you become a better man or a better woman over time. If you spend all your time around kids fighting for a pecking order, then you're a perpetual kid fighting for a pecking order. And so I, 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 I completely agree kind of with where you come from with this, that by being around adults, they act more like adults. Right. So, and this week I'm onboarding, we've got a new employee He's coming in as a business development manager and sales manager. And so like we're here at our dining table meeting from 8 a.m. till noon. And then that employee is going out into the field to shadow home inspectors to learn that side of the business too. So here we have HR onboarding contracts, negotiations, sales calls, like we are doing so much that he has that exposure to. And, you know, is he engaged in it a little bit? He's over there and they see everything, right? So he's doing his work, but he's also seeing what's going on. Um, he gets to hear the, the, the calls. I, I had a, I had a call with the client with an issue today. Um, and I did that on speakerphone. So everybody got the benefit of that call or new, our new business development manager, because he'll probably be handling some some of those issues that do arise in the future. Every business deals with them. Um, and then, all you know, we did payroll this morning. So I showed him how to do payroll. And my son knows, hey, these guys get paid for what they do and they pay taxes. And this is what it looks like. And this is where they got some bonuses for good things they did. And look, nobody did the good things. Nobody's getting the bonuses this week. So it's so diverse. And we did a. We did a woodworking project this year, um, a Christmas gift for a, a buddy of mine's wife. He's a retired Green Beret, and she wanted to put all his cool stuff in this massive shadow box. And I know somebody with a with an amazing commercial woodworking shop, and you know, I called in a favor and say, "Hey, can we do this?" 
and my, it's gonna, we're gonna get a Cub Scout badge for it in the process, and we're gonna have some school stuff in here too, so we can get multiple uses out of it. So getting that exposure to the woodworking stuff and, and doing a bladesmithing class next week, like you said, these are, these are all lost arts. And, and when we choose to, to homeschool our kids, we can fill in those gaps in an amazing way. Yeah. And you know, what you see now when you look at YouTube University, as I call it, all these channels that teach you how to do things, there's a tremendous demand by this entire generation, this millennial generation, which is no longer young people. Millennials are like 40 now almost, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the upper, the, the, the oldest millennials, I think, are close to 40 years of age now. Um, it might actually be like 41 might be the oldest millennials by that now. But they are the ones that are watching these YouTube channels on how to do wood turning or you look at some of the cooking channels, right? Like pro home cooks with like 2.7 million subscribers. They're not all old people like us, right? It's, it's all of these young folks that, you know, younger than us folks, I guess, mm-hmm. that didn't learn these skills coming up. And now they're going back and self teaching themselves these things. And that tells you leaving it out of their educational path was a huge mistake. It was a yes. huge mistake, and you know, it, and it, it continues to be a mistake that it doesn't look like anybody wants to correct inside the institutions. And one of the things I said during the intro that you weren't here for was that I believe that everybody should look at doing this, even the people that believe in reforming the system, because I think it's the only thing that gets their their attention. You can go to school board meetings, you can complain, you can even run for the school board, what have you. Um, I'm glad if you do, and I wish you the best if you try. But what actually gets their attention is when their enrollment goes down 10% in the next cycle. And if if they ever reform it, and I'm not saying, well, but if they ever do, it will be at the point where they go, a quarter of Americans are homeschooling their kids. I think that will be like the earth-shattering Paul Revere moment of like, oh, we're we're totally losing control of everything. And I think right now we've doubled the number of homeschoolers each year for the last two years. Well, and I guarantee you that's got somebody's attention, right? That's, that's, you're starting to like worry about the way things are going. And at the same time, they're losing teachers. I was listening to, cause I had to get in the car. So I made the mistake of turning talk radio on a couple of days ago. And one lady called in and said in her district, they lost 18% of their teachers since COVID started. That's crazy. Went, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. And, uh, so they're leaving because they're fed up, too, because I think what happens, teachers always get pissed when I do shows like this. I always get hate mail, right? But whenever I ask them about, you know, well, do you get to teach the way that you want to or whatever? If, if you can get them to make one complaint about their system and you say, well, that's not so bad, then they open up and then they just go. And then you're like, well, why don't you change it for the inside? And I know the answer, right? But you ask anyway, because that gets them to say it. And then they start, oh, you don't understand. There's this and there's that and there's this and I can't do this. And I, I'm like, so what you're saying is the system's broke. Because what it always comes down to is they want to be paid more. And it's like, but if I pay you more, none of those structural problems go away. And then we have lunacy. Like I, I got educated by a teacher out of uh, Maryland. I'm like, you know you don't need a college degree to teach the third grade. And she's like, well, actually after five years of teaching, you have to have a master's degree to teach the third grade or you lose your license to teach in the state of Maryland. Wow. What, 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 and that doesn't make any sense to me at all because now what I've done is I've, I've credentialed a person to the level of a master's degree 
well, there are opportunities outside of the world of education, at least, you know, pre, you know, uh, secondary ed, uh, is, is, is unlimited. They can go do something else now. Why would they stay in a broken system? So I don't think we can fix it with money. Uh, it's a structural problem. And yeah, that's, that's really wild. We were on a, we took a homeschool group field trip earlier this year to a Amish community down past Lewisburg, Tennessee, down south of Nashville. And you know who's teaching those kids? Older, older kids. Oh yeah. So the 14, 15 year old girls are teaching the kids to read and write and do math. And you know, once those kids are old enough to work, they're, they're, they're working around the house and the property, the farm, and, and they're selling the, you know, they're selling and making change to the tourists that are coming in to buy stuff. Um, and it's like, well, you know, if, if they realize you only need a sixth grade education to teach third graders, then <laughs> why do we need a master's degree? But that's what I've always said. Did I mean, other than the maturity aspect of it, a fourth grader that got straight A's should be able to teach second grade. Oh yeah. Right. Other than the maturity. And, and when I say that people get all out of sorts, I'm like, oh, hold on. Either the fourth grader with straight A's can teach second grade or the system that produced a fourth grader that can get straight A's that can't teach the fundamentals of second grade is broken. Mm-hmm. You can pick one, but you can't have it both ways. Like either they can. And then that's actually the educational standard to teach second grade. Other, and I'm sure there's some things like running a classroom and all that would, but you're not talking about a four year degree course here. You're talking about probably the best way we could probably be teaching teachers is sort of like a, a six month, um, apprenticeship, like an assistant teacher and then like kind of moving on from there and actually learning in school. Because if you're not going to teach college and you graduated high school, and the, the 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 purpose is to help others graduate high school. You should be able to teach what you've done, or you didn't learn it. And I think that shows the flaw in the system that you can get A's and you didn't learn. Because I guarantee you, if you just grabbed thirty to forty year olds off the street and gave them like their final exams from tenth grade, ninety percent will fail. Mm-hmm. So what did they learn? What did we get out of putting that kid through that school for you know? between ten dollars and $20,000 a year per student, what did we gain from that? And what we gained was compliance. That's what we gained. We gained compliance, and we gained training people to a schedule. We, 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 This system, somebody had been talking about it here in the comment section, but it all goes back to the Prussian system, and it was designed for a time that doesn't even exist anymore. It, to be fair, if you went to school in 1890 and you learned to move when the bell rang and show up on time and do what you were told, when you got out, there was a million factory jobs for you. Mm-hmm. And when you got out of school, they said, well, with nothing else, I know you know how to do this and you can read so I can give you an instruction manual. Right. And then if you excel, we'll move you up. But today, like that doesn't really buy much. Being able to just do what you're told, you know, that's that's not really the American economy anymore. Thank God. It's definitely not. I I had a experience. So when I when I was a full time woodworker, I actually taught woodworking through Metro Public Schools in the form of adult education. So we have adults signing up. They want to learn how to make a table or I got to pick the project. And um, one year on the first day we had, I don't know, 15, 16 people signed up to take this class that I had been teaching for three or four years. 
And after that first class, I had three people withdraw. And they went and they talked to the, to the supervisor there, the, the director, and they said that, you know, they could tell I had never, I didn't have a teaching degree and they weren't going to learn anything in the class. And by some weird happenstance, they were teachers. They were educators. So they were, they were college trained. And, you know, the, the instructor was, or the, the director was really taken aback. He's like, what? Aaron, like we get rave reviews about what Aaron teaches. Cause I presented them with a ton of information and all kinds of handouts and printouts. And just, we, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, but just the fact that I wasn't formally, a formally trained teacher with a degree, um, they couldn't handle that. And they didn't think that I could teach them anything, which is sad because here I'm somebody who has been trained internationally in an amazing furniture history that was passionate about it from the time I was 14, 15 years old and um, had been doing this professionally, making a living, you know, building furniture full time. And you don't have anything to learn from me because I'm not a teacher. Like it's just a really weird mentality. Uh, absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate it today. This, this has gone almost an hour and a half now, so we need to wrap up. Do you want to take a moment here? I mean, we've talked all about, uh, homeschooling and, and the fact that anybody can do it, but you do run a business and I know we have a pretty big contingency in, in center, central Tennessee in the audience. You want to tell people quickly about your business and where they can learn more about it if they can use your services? Sure. Yeah. So the company is Tennessee Home Inspectors. Our website is getaninspector.com, so it's really simple. Um, we operate in all of Middle Tennessee. I've got I've got somebody who lives on uh, Stewart County, Montgomery County line up around Clarksville, and we have inspectors in, in Murfreesboro. Um, so we, we cover a really massive territory. Um, if, if somebody just wants to have a maintenance inspection on their home, they're like, hey, you know, I've been living here for six or seven years. Um, we'd be happy to come take a look at things because what I've, what I've learned from, you know, the thousands of inspections that we do is that most really expensive repairs are just simply minor issues that went undiagnosed and unaddressed for, for an extended period of time. So if we can help people catch things on the front end, it'll save them a lot of money and, and help their systems last longer. Um, I saw somebody did ask in the comments here, where, where am I moving to? Um, I'm moving east of Nashville to the Hartsville area. Um, actually in, in, yeah, so just above Hartsville. And, um, so that's, that's where I'm going to be located in the future. Very cool. Well, dude, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. I'll make sure there's a link to uh, your website in the uh, show notes as well. And, and good on you for doing this. And thanks for reaching out and asking to be on the show. I think it's really important that we demonstrate to others the things that can be done because there's so many people that I think over the years I've met that said, but you had someone on and said they could do it. I thought if they could do it, I could do it. And it's in all, it's not just this. It's like, I mean, uh, John Dowie of Dowie Farms, like we had a guy on that talked about selling microgreens for business. He now runs a business selling microgreens. So he's like, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And he was just tired of having to work for other people. And like that mm-hmm. became his thing. I so. I really appreciate you kind of demonstrating that this is something that anybody can do if they work hard enough. And as I always say, those of you that say, but stop saying, but stop saying, I wish I could just simply ask yourself, how can I? 
If you, and, and that's everything. That's homeschooling. That's starting a business. That's affording a house. That's getting a farm. Whatever it is for you, whatever you want. Start asking yourself, how can I? And, and every time you feel the, the negative component coming in about I'll never do it or whatever, just kill that and ask yourself, how can I? And you will get answers. You may not like the answers, but at least you'll get the answers. And again, thanks for being with us today, Aaron. Man, it's it's been a great pleasure. I've been listening to you for a long time. When I found you, you were probably on episode three or four hundred, and I went back and I started at episode one, and I listened to all the all the all the first episodes while you kept with the new ones. I was listening to all of them until I kind of caught up, and there was a couple years where I fell off. And uh, you had Corey on. You were on Corey's show for for fish, and I'm yeah. like, man, this is it. Kind of kind of sparked me. I'm like, I'm gonna start listening to Jack again. <laughs> and it's, it's been great. It's it's encouraged me to start where I met. So I've made a lot of mistakes on my suburban lot, but I've planted a lot of trees and fruit and garden and I, I sheet mulched the front yard, a big chunk of that for a while. And uh man, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned a lot of lessons. So when I do move out to our 33 acres, like I don't have to make those same mistakes at scale. Now, I, you know, I've, I've learned some things and I'm, I'm super grateful for that and everything you've taught me along the way. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, great discussion, guys. And I, I really do believe that when we have these people on that, you know, you'd look at and say, hey, it would be difficult for this person to do this thing. And they demonstrate that it can be done. It does encourage others to pick up and do the same thing. I really don't think there's a greater gift that you can give to your children right now other than getting them out of this absolute crazy system that we've developed. And I know some people in this audience even are still for fixing the public education system. I'm going to tell you a, a simple reality, though. Government only fixes a thing when it has to. Government only fixes a thing when it has to. So the only way it's ever going to have to fix public education, government schools, is going to be for enough parents to, to leave the system for them to realize that they have to fix it. So whether you want to simply get your kids out like I wanted for my grandchildren, and if I have anything to say about it, they will never go back, ever. Or if you actually want reform, you got the same solution. Take your children out of the desks where they exist as dollar signs for the administrators for the school district. Take the money away, and they might start getting their attention. And I'm telling you, You can give them a better education at home than they will ever, ever, ever infinity get from public ed. You can do better than they can. I want to say it one more time because this is the place where most people doubt themselves. You, my friends and neighbors, can do better than them. The education we're providing for our grandchildren, and we're not special people, so far exceeds what public education delivers, it should be embarrassing to them. And that's the truth. With that, if you like the show and the work that we do, remember there's a couple ways you can support us. One, become a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. Use the discounts, get your money back, and support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. To learn more, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. And remember, uh, military, law enforcement, uh, first responders, 
Peace Corps members. All of you guys qualify for a service discount. That's active duty, retired, and simply prior service. If you want to find out about that before, not after you join, email me, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount in the subject line, and I'll give you the discount code. It'll save you 25% off any membership of a product that already pays for itself. With that, let's go ahead and uh, also remind you that the other easy, simple way, doesn't cost any, any money really, To support us is to start your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there, you see all my reviews of all the products I've reviewed, and everything there, I own it, I bought it, and I would buy it again or I wouldn't recommend it. Today's item of the day is one for uh, everybody out there that owns firearms and needs to maintain them. It's Birchwood Casey Gun Scrubber. This is, to me, an an essential thing for maintaining firearms. It's basically a stripper. And doesn't strip, you know, Parker uh, blue or Parkerization or anything like that. What I mean is, it, sh- it it strips all grime, grease, powder residue, oils, everything off any firearm part that you spray it on, and it does it almost instantly. And when you when you do it, that piece of metal will become almost ice cold instantly from the way that it works, and it will be clean. I'm gonna tell you how. Um, How I learned about this, the, the newer version, it's not new anymore, but it's newer than, than my original that I used. Back when I was a kid, I used to clean all the guns for my uncle and my dad and stuff like that when it come from hunting. I got to clean the guns, right? Like, that was a big deal. And it was mostly just maybe running a patch through a barrel, simple wipe down or whatever. But every once in a while, we'd do a full cleaning, like at the end of a season or something. And my uncle or my dad would help me. We'd take the gun, break it down, and what have you. And that's when I learned about Birchwood Casey. And, man, this stuff works. It clean, And that's why, if you use it, big disclaimer, once you've cleaned something with it, it's not a maintainer. That part needs to be oiled, lubed, wiped down uh, after you're done so that it doesn't rust because there will be nothing left on it. Well, when I went into the Army and I got to AIT, which is like your, your tech school, by then we could go to the PX, and we were always getting these weapons inspections. And, man, a sergeant major uh, that we had... I swear that dude's. I swear he had his pinky surgically altered so he could stick it up into the chamber of of an M16 further than than humanly possible for a normal human being. Because uh, no matter what you did, he would pull that finger out and be a little bit of residue on that finger. No matter how hard you tried, you'd always fail. So I went to the PX, found Birchwood Casey, brought it back to the barracks, showed everybody how it worked, and learned something I didn't know back then. The original formula, if it gets on synthetic stocks, it bleaches them out to like a white gray. So we ended up with everybody with like white gray blotches all over the stocks and forearms of, of, of their weapons, but perfectly clean weapons. Fortunately, our squad leader was a prior service Marine who had joined the Army and was stuck in there with us in AIT, and he had seen this before, and he showed us how to use a little bit of uh, oil, CLP, and uh, black kiwi, and then mix that together, and you could basically restore the synthetic stock. At least, I don't know how long it lasts, but it lasted long enough to get the hell out of there. Now they make a synthetic safe, so if you get a little bit on a synthetic stock, it, it, it won't cause any problems. But you really should be using this stuff. It is fantastic, especially for deep cleaning. And a final warning, when I say all grease, grime, etc., I mean it. Do not use this inside your home or your wife will kill you, guys. I'm telling you. Take the gun outside and do it somewhere where all the stuff that falls off is not going to be a problem. It is that good, and then it produces that much of a nastiness when it comes off the weapon. Ask me how I know. Anyway, with that, let's wrap things up and remind you guys again uh, that we have uh, the rest of the week ahead of us. As long as we don't get shut down with uh, 
this uh, big Arctic freeze that's coming in. I want you guys in the south that are going to be affected by this freeze moving in tonight and over the weekend, be prepared. Get everything taken care of. We've made sure all of our ducks are in a row. You should, too. And with that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares.